But a cold war developed between them, and when the Lyles heard rumours that the Tates were about to launch a syrup onto the market, they hastily knocked together a cube plant in response. Leaking word of its existence was enough to ensure that it never had to be used. The families were scrupulous in keeping up professional boundaries. Although the senior Tates and Lyles took the same train from Fenchurch Street Station every morning, they made sure to sit in separate carriages and never acknowledged each other. By the end of the First World War, it was clear that the competition was actually hurting both companies, but neither had a clear upper hand. The Lyles had the edge in profitability, but the Tate's output was not to be rivalled. A merger was the obvious way forward. Negotiations began, and for three years Ernest Tate and Charles Lyle tore their hair out in frustration as proposal after proposal was rejected by their respective boards. A deal was finally agreed in 1921. The new Tate and Lyle Company retained both London factories, Tate's Thames Refinery in the heart of Silvertown and Lyle's Plasto Wharf Refinery a mile upriver. The management of the two factories, however, remained in the hands of the respective families. The original Tate and Lyle, Henry and Abram, were both long dead by now and had never known the fate of their companies. In fact, they had never even met. The old rivalry didn't die out completely, and from 1937 onwards it was played out in a more friendly fashion on the company's new shared sports ground. There, the workers from Tate's and Lyle's, as the two factories continued to be known by the locals, would compete against each other in football and cricket. The Second World War brought great changes to both refineries, as their workforces became female-dominated for the first time. As men were called up, the management were forced to blur the strict distinctions between men's and women's jobs, with female workers tackling even the most physically demanding and high-status roles, including that of the panmen who boiled up the sugar liquor. The women were thrilled to see their wages go up when they took on such new jobs, but they were still only paid 75% of what their male counterparts had earned. After the war, the men reclaimed their old roles, but a shift had taken place, and the crucial part that sugar girls played in the company's success could no longer be ignored. In 1948, a mixed-sex canteen was built at the Plaster Wharf Refinery, and for the first time, the women were able to eat alongside their male colleagues. Today, after the closure of the docks and almost all of the local factories, much of Silvertown has the feeling of a ghost town. It is overshadowed by the planes taking off and landing at City Airport, whose runway cuts between the Royal Albert and King George V docks, and the looming concrete viaducts of the Docklands Light Railway. Many of the old Victorian terraces have been replaced by blocks of council flats, and the pubs, shops and cafes that once lined the North Woolwich Road opposite the Plasto Wharf refinery are all gone. The close-knit neighbourhoods and the way of life that once thrived there have vanished and can never be recovered. Tate and Lyle is unusual in having retained its Silvertown factories, although from the late 1960s much of the Plasto Wharf refinery was demolished as its sugar refining activities were wound down. Many loyal workers took redundancy rather than accept a transfer downriver to the Thames refinery. Even there, the company now employs only a small fraction of its former workforce, and the jobs once done by the sugar girls are all performed by machines. 
Tate and Lyle has long since stopped being a family firm, and in 2010 it was bought by an American sugar giant. However, the legacy of its original founders lives on. In 2006, the iconic Lyle's Golden Syrup tins were officially recognised by the Guinness Book of Records as the oldest brand in Britain. Meanwhile, the philanthropic work of the Tate family is remembered in the libraries and art galleries that bear its name. But the contribution of those ordinary young women who played such a central role during Tate and Lyle's East End heyday is not widely recognised, and their lives have not generally been recorded. This is the story of those women, the teenagers who left school and gave the best years of their lives to Tate and Lyle. This is the story of the Sugar Girls. Chapter 1 Ethel